I'm Carson Horn, and it's Wednesday at 10, which means it's time for Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So grab your toilet paper and let's get rolling. We've got a busy weekend quickly approaching here in Auburn, Alabama. Welcome in. I'm Carson, and you're listening to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. Yes, we've got A-Day coming up on Saturday. Auburn baseball has a big home series against Texas A&M. And we got the unveiling of the Frank Thomas statue. So it's going to be plenty busy. It should be a fun, it should be an exciting weekend here in Auburn. And with all that said, we've also got some Auburn basketball uh, off-season stuff. Talk about some news that happened since last week when I was last on air talking about some of the the decisions about some players to lead to transfer out. So we're going to start there today before we jump into an A-Day preview and talk about Auburn baseball and look at their series this past weekend against Florida and looking at their series against A&M this upcoming weekend. But let's start with basketball before we get into that. So the biggest news that came out this past week since we've last been on air is that Wendell Green has declared uh, for the NBA draft. He is going ahead to the pros. He is not, uh, this key here, not maintaining his college eligibility. He just confirmed that on the next round live table uh, show, radio show, uh, just a few minutes ago. I was just seeing that. I thought that was the case, but it was good to get further confirmation from him on that. So he is done with college basketball. He is going on to the next level. Uh, Wendell Green, let's just talk about him first before we talk about what this means for Auburn. Let's talk about him because he deserves uh, some time to be spent on him. You know, Wendell was brought in by Bruce Pearl two years ago out of the transfer portal, transferred from Eastern Kentucky, originally out of Detroit, Michigan. Uh, Auburn was, of course, trying to put together the roster at that point to go with Jabari Smith, ended up bringing in Katie Johnson and Zepp Jasper and Walker Kessler in that uh, transfer portal class that year and put together uh, a team that went on to win the uh, SEC regular season championship, got to a number one ranking. Wendell Green was the point guard uh, for that team, uh, played a major role on that team. He was someone who fit your stereotypical Bruce Pearl style. He was someone who flew underneath the radar, a small point guard, um, but just had the will to win, played it with high intensity, and he gave everything he had every night on the court. Uh, for Auburn, I have nothing but, but positive things to say about uh, Wendell Green, and Auburn wouldn't have been where they were these last two years without him. He he was a big, big piece in both last year uh, and this season. Uh, I really expected him to come back for a while, and then you started to hear the rumors that that, that was li- looking less unlikely. I do think now that it was the best for both for both parties for him to to move on uh, to the pros, but he he will be missed. Um, and I wish him nothing but but the best. He always represented uh, Auburn in, in the best way that you could that you could ask for uh, from a point guard. So Wendell Green moves on now. So what does that mean for the point guard position at Auburn for this next season and moving forward? We know that Auburn has Aiden Holloway coming in. We know that they have Trey Donaldson returning. As of now, it seems like that that is going to be the case. Will they go after another point guard in the portal? I think it's unlikely. I think that 
it would have to be someone really special for them to take a, a just a true point guard in, in the portal here. Could they take a guard who can play the one? There's no doubt, absolutely, uh, that that could happen. But I don't think they're going to be searching for a true point guard. I think Bruce Pearl has a lot of confidence in Trey Donaldson. I think he has a lot of confidence in Aiden Holloway. Uh, Aiden Holloway has been fantastic. If you've been following him going through playing and, and at different camps and, and things like that, he is continuing continuing to show out. Uh, he looks to be one of the best shooters in the class, uh, something that Auburn is in dire need of. I understand, though, the concerns about having a true freshman point guard starting or even someone like Trey Donaldson if he ends up being the starter next year at the one. I understand the concerns, so let's address about having a true freshman starting point guard. If they're elite enough, I don't have a problem with it. I don't want to compare Aiden Holloway to Shreve Cooper. They're different players. Shreve Cooper was one of the best floor generals and passers I've ever seen in college basketball. Aiden Holloway is not Shreve Cooper, but Aiden Holloway is a better shooter than Sharif uh, is or was. Uh, Sharif, I think, since he's gotten into the G League, has improved his shot a lot. Uh, but going back and making that point, I think Aiden Holloway is an elite enough player to be a starter in the SEC and on a team that's looking to compete for a championship. I believe he's elite enough to do that. You may disagree with me. I understand the concerns of, of a true freshman. Guards are what make or break teams in college basketball. It, it's just true. And it's, I think it's great to have veteran guards, but you also just got to have really good guards no matter what uh, age or, or year or classification, whatever they are, you've got to be elite. Look, Just look at the NCAA tournament. Even this year where everything was haywire more so than usual, it still came down to UConn have really good guards who could shoot and, and, and could play defense. That's what it came down to. You and I think it's what cost Auburn, uh, if you look back to the two years ago with Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. And I'm not trying to take shots at Katie Johnson or Wendell Green or Zepp Jasper, but Auburn's guards did not play at a high enough level, at least during the latter part of the season, to win and to make a deep run into March. Your guards have to, be, have to play at an elite level. I believe Aiden Holloway can play at that level. Not every true freshman point guard can do that. That's, there's a reason he was in McDonald's All-American. This kid can absolutely play. And with Trey Donaldson, I, 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 we're talking so much about Aiden, I wanted to focus on him first. But I've got a lot of confidence in, in Trey Donaldson as well. We saw a lot of good minutes from him this year. We didn't see as much as we would have liked to see in order to give us confidence if he's going to be the starting point guard this year to give us like, oh yeah, no doubt, he's going to be a starter. We didn't see enough minutes from him. We saw some really good spurts from him. We also saw some really bad uh, minutes from, from Trey Donaldson. And the biggest thing that gives me concerns about him, I like his physical play. Uh, I like his uh, passing ability. I like his jump shot. His shooting overall, though, is still a concern for me. Uh, but I think it's, it's going to be good competition. And both those guys are going to play a lot of minutes because Aiden can also play off-ball. So there's a chance that, yeah, Trey could be the starting point guard and Aiden plays off-ball. There could be the chance that Aiden starts at the one, plays a good amount of minutes at the two, and therefore uh, Trey gets a lot of minutes at the one. Either way, I would expect Trey Donaldson to be playing around 20 minutes, if not more, next season, whether he's starting or not. 
So I think the big thing for him is continuing to understand what Bruce Pearl is looking for. In a point guard, he's going to have the advantage of already being in this program for a year over Aiden Holloway. If he can improve his shot, then and his shot's not terrible. It, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not. He he is. He shot around similar percentage than Wendell Green is like as my uh, uh, roommate likes to point out uh, often to me. He also took a lot less shots. Uh, but again, when someone makes as many threes as he made in a row a couple different times, he's shown the ability to do it. He's just got to do it more consistently. So I really do. Uh, like Trey, and I think he certainly could end up being the starting point guard, and maybe Aiden Holloway comes off the bench uh, or starts at the two. Those are certainly opportunities and possibilities. It's hard to know what this is, what this situation is going to look like, because the roster is still far from being finalized uh, for next season. But as far as just to wrap up this little uh, segment here on the point guard position, I do think the two point guards next year will be Trey Donaldson and and Aiden Holloway unless something unforeseen happens or there's a point guard that Auburn just absolutely cannot turn down uh, in the portal. With all that being said, I don't think we're done yet seeing some roster turnover with Auburn. We're still waiting on... I mean, these guys don't have to announce that they're coming back, but in this transfer portal era, uh, we typically do see announcements for coming back. We typically see announcements for 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 leaving. So we still really haven't heard anything from Chris Moore, Stretch Akimbola, Leor Berman, Katie Johnson, Flanagan, uh, Janai Broom, or Jalen Williams. My assumption is Janai and Jalen are both coming back. It seems like Chris Moore is also coming back. Uh, they don't have to make announcements. With, with Jalen Williams being a fifth-year senior, he might have to um, because he's going to be using his extra year of eligibility if he does come back. But like Janai Broom doesn't have to. I kind of expected both to declare, though, for the NBA draft while maintaining their college eligibility. That was kind of my expectation with Janai and Jalen, and that could still happen. It just hasn't yet. Uh, Alan Flanagan, I like I've said from the get-go, I really don't expect him to return but we haven't gotten any announcement uh, on him yet. Katie Johnson, I, I originally said I didn't expect him to return. I, now it looks like maybe he is going to. I really don't have a great feel uh, feel on that, on that situation, so we'll see what happens. We're still waiting uh, on that, but Auburn is not messing around in the transfer portal. They are active. They are recruiting hard. They've got multiple guys scheduled for visits in the upcoming weeks and weekends ahead, starting with A-Day weekend. There may be multiple. I know for sure of one. That's Denver Jones. If you followed Auburn basketball recruiting at all, you know there's a lot of uh, hype around Denver Jones and the possibility that he could commit this weekend on his visit. I would not be surprised if that were the case at all. I don't have any special intel, but just seems like a, a kid from Alabama, from Newmarket, Alabama, uh, visiting Auburn. You'd have to assume that Auburn's got a, a advantage in this recruitment. And if he is visiting this weekend, I think this is his first visit anywhere. Uh, I, I'm very much excited and looking forward uh, to seeing if, if he does commit this weekend. It will be big to get. He's a 6'4 uh, shooting guard, uh, shot around 37% from three, averaged 20 points per game, was first-team all-conference USA. So a really good player. Uh, it would be awesome if Auburn could land him and go ahead and start adding to this roster because there looks to be, could be anywhere from three to four transfers taken in, uh, if not more, um, in, this, uh, in this cycle. 
for 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 Auburn. So we'll keep an eye on him. Again, there's there's more than more than him that this uh, that we're tracking here in the transfer portal. I'm not doing a deep dive into that. We will later on in the show, but don't have time for that today. Um, but something to keep an eye on this weekend is Denver Jones. And finally, to close out this basketball segment, I wanted to talk about Bruce Pearl's comments at the Final Four. So every year, every coach that is coached in the Final Four is invited to wherever the location of the Final Four is. So Bruce Pearl was there. He talked to what felt like every media outlet out there was on radio, kind of like SEC media days, kind of are for football where you're just going around and talking to everyone. That's kind of what he did. But there's a reoccurring theme. And if you read any of his comments, watched, listened, whatever, to anything that he said, you, you could sense some frustration there. And I think it stems from what has happened mainly, I think, with Chance Westry, but you could argue even with Johan Treyor. And it's a sentiment that's expressed by football coaches and, and, and uh, basketball coaches alike. It's just the day and age that we're in, and with the way the transfer portal is, it's frustrating to coaches. You spend so much time recruiting high schoolers, developing relationships, and some of those guys are going to get to play immediately. Aiden Holloway's one. He's going to play immediately. But not every guy that you bring in in the high school is going to play immediately. And I think it's frustrating when they don't play immediately that they decide to to leave. It's frustrating to coaches. It's frustrating to fans. Uh, but you can understand really why Bruce Pearl is, is upset, uh, especially, I think, in the case of uh, some he talked about having to recruit parents. And I think he's frustrated because he believed that the player really wanted to stay, but they've got other people, maybe their parents, in their ear telling them, you can go elsewhere, you can play more minutes elsewhere. And so that's frustrating to him, and he just came out and, and, and pretty much just said it. Again, I'm not direct quoting here, but saying that we're, we're going to back off recruiting high schoolers unless they can come in and contribute immediately. Because, look, we're de- we develop this guy. He doesn't play much. We develop him for a year, and then he transfers out. So we don't reap any, of the, uh, we don't reap any rewards from doing that. So why in the world would we waste our time working hard, recruiting this person, getting this player in, and then developing them for a year, and then they decide to transfer out because they didn't play much? Why not just sit here and let someone else do that, and then we take them in through the transfer portal, and they've already you know got a year or two under their belt? And you can certainly understand it. That's not what they want to do. That's not what Bruce Pearl wants to do. He'd much rather bring those guys in, develop them, and then have them ready to play by their sophomore, junior year. But it's a day and age that we are in, and he feels like he has no choice because he can't keep having this constant turnover of, you know, bring in three, four freshmen, and they all leave. You spend so much time, so much effort. You take up scholarship spots, more importantly, that you could have maybe used on someone who could have contributed in, in your previous season, and, and instead you, you get no benefit. So it, it, you could tell a frustrating tone. I think that the situation with Chance Westry and Yohan Treyor certainly has taken a toll on Bruce Pearl. Not just them. This has happened before, and it'll happen again. But it certainly seems like Bruce Pearl may be changing his philosophy a little bit on how he's going to recruit the high school level. Now, it's a little bit ironic because he does have three people currently committed in the class of 2024, but all three, I think he believes and I believe will be immediate contributors, and that's what he's saying. If they're going to be immediate contributors, I'm taking them. If not, then probably not going to uh, recruit uh, real hard to get those guys 
in. So we've got to wrap up this segment and get to break, but I did want to talk about that. And we'll talk plenty more about Auburn basketball in the rest of the spring. We'll be right back here on Talking Tumors. Welcome back to Talking Tumors here on Weagle 91.1. Well, we've got to talk Auburn football. A day is this Saturday. Very much looking forward to it, as I'm sure most Auburn fans are. Crossing my fingers that the weather holds off. I know there's some uh, chance of rain. Really don't want anything to to, to ruin this weekend uh, for Auburn. Again, huge weekend, as I mentioned at, at the start. So hopefully that the rain will, will hold off and we'll be able to uh, play the A-Day game and the Auburn baseball game on Saturday. But, man, just thinking about this spring and as Auburn wraps it up, and there's been so much um, – Energy and positive uh, vibes going around this Auburn program. A lot of a lot of excitement, and it should be that way. When you've got a new staff in there, it's their first spring game. As I mentioned before, with with most a days in the year of uh, the first year of a head coach, it is usually the some of the biggest crowds that you get uh, for an a day overall. We saw that. I think the biggest one was before Gus Malzahn's first year. We'll see if if a day on Saturday rivals that. For, for Hugh Freeze's first 8A on the Plains. But a few notes before we dive into what I'm actually looking for uh, during 8A. wanted to talk about the offense, who apparently in, in these last couple of practices has really started to figure some things out, and that is uh, music to everyone's ears, I think. And to no surprise, it's because of the run, running game. And Jarquez Hunter, Hugh Freeze called him the best running back he's ever coached. Uh, pretty high praise, but I think Jarquez certainly deserves that. Uh, but the, the fact that the offense has figured things out is very, very exciting for Auburn fans, and it really comes down to the offensive line as well. I said it had to do a lot with the running backs, but it doesn't matter how good they are, as we've seen. If your offensive line can't deliver, it doesn't matter. And this Auburn offensive line has taken huge steps this spring. I think the three transfers that Auburn has brought in has been everything that they could have hoped for with Avery Jones and uh, Gunnar Britton and Dylan Wade. Those were three huge transfers. And the offensive line is really starting to come together and playing really well uh, as a unit. And that's so important to be. I think part of the reason offense is always slower than defense because you've got to get your your system in there and you start to understand it a little better. And you remember, it's only 15 practices in spring. So it's not a lot of practice time to really start to figure things out. So defense should be ahead of offense. Defense should be dominating, and for most of spring, they have been. But I'm glad the offense has, has won a couple of the days here recently. That is really good news. You want the defense to be winning the majority of the time. They should know what the offense is doing. They should know what they're running. Their stuff should be a little bit easier to learn. They should be able to learn things quicker than the offense. But nonetheless, still good uh, to hear some positive things about the offense. You didn't hear a ton about what specific quarterback, uh, it could have been all three, and that was leading kind of this charge for the one's offense in these two practices that went, that went really well. Was it T.J. Finley? Was it Robbie Ashford? Was it Holden Gurner, who we talked about last week? I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll find out a lot here uh, in A-Day, hopefully. Hopefully we will. But with that being said, Hugh Freeze did on Monday make it a point to try to, to dampen expectations a little bit, not... You know, he said, you know, too high of expectations uh, leads to disappointment. And and really, we get get overexcited. We overanalyze spring games. I'm doing it right now. I'll do it next week's show after A-Day. 
we we way overanalyze things. In the end, it's just a glorified practice. That's really uh, all that it is, and we try to take so much from it, uh, but it's one day, it's one practice. And um, so I think Hugh Freeze is trying to, to dampen expectations. You don't expect to see too much, really, especially offensively. When you've got a whole new system, when you're com- gelling an, uh, two offensive minds in Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery, you don't want to, uh, you know, uh, show your hand with with what you're going to do offensively. You'll show your base, your base formations and base plays and things like that. But Auburn's going to have a competitive advantage early on in the season because you can't just study Hugh Freeze's offense. You can't just study Philip Montgomery's offense because it's going to be a mesh of those two minds. So that's going to give Auburn an advantage in the in the first few games. And so you don't want to give away too much here in spring, I, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of trying to hide everything and being uh, overly concerned about what film teams are getting on you from from a, a spring game or or in general. Uh, paranoid is the word I'm looking for. I know Gus Malzahn. There's a lot of complaints about him being paranoid like that, but you also don't want to be dumb and and show everything that you've got. Uh, so I think that that's what Hugh Freeze is trying to get at. Don't expect to see just a insane offense here in, in A-Day, but also defensively understand they're still working through some things. They still still need some more depth, at especially the edge position, but a defensive back as well. Uh, the linebackers, they're still figuring things out. D-line, everyone, every position has questions. So don't expect too much. Don't expect any position to look like the best thing since sliced bread. However, there are some things that I'll be looking for. I've had a hard time, though. When I, when I asked this question to myself preparing for the show, I said, okay, I, I've got to try to nail some things down to talk about that I'm specifically looking for in A-Day. And I was, I'm, because it's the first year of a new staff, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at everything. I truly am. But to talk specifically, I think the most interesting thing is who who's going to be out there running with the ones. We know at the beginning of the spring, Hugh Freeze said there's no depth chart. Okay, whatever, but you got to put somebody out there first. Who's running with the ones? Who, in your mind right now, is the best? Because whoever's running with the ones in the spring is not necessarily who's going to be running with the ones come the first game in the fall, but it does tell you who right now going into the summer is the starter, uh, more than likely, at that position. So who's running with the ones, of course, most uh, notably will be the quarterback position. Who comes out there first? For the quarterbacks. My guess is going to be Robbie Ashford. That's my guess. I don't have any intel, any uh, knowledge or anything of that matter. That's my guess. We'll see. Uh, but certainly we'll be interested to who uh, comes out first there. Will whoever has a better A-Day game mean that they'll kind of have the, the lead going into fall camp? I don't know. That'll be something that'll be asked uh, of Hugh Freeze after. He's already said, though, this quarterback battle is far from being over. Uh, and, you know, spring is – he he's not going to announce the starter after spring, suffice to say. And there's a good chance that Auburn brings in a transfer quarterback after spring. So, I, I don't know. There will be someone who is a leader, I have no doubt, in Hugh Freeze's mind after spring. May already be the case, but I don't think you'll hear him say that after the spring game. But we'll, we'll, we will see what he says, and if, if he does, though, I'll be surprised if he names even a leader going into uh, fall camp. Uh, also, we'll be uh, looking at the RPO. That's going to be the bread and butter of the Phil Montgomery-Hugh Freeze offense here. 
you're going to see the basics of it, I expect, because that is, that is the like I said, the bread and butter of this offense. So you're not going to see a lot of, of different things that you can do with RPO, but you'll see the, the basic RPO. So we know the quarterbacks have struggled with that some. RPO, uh, for listeners who may not know what that means, that means a run-pass option for the quarterback. He can run it, he can hand it off, he can throw it. So I'll be interested to see how the quarterbacks handle that because we know they have struggled some, but they've had more practices now under their belt. Hopefully they have improved uh, with that. So I'll I'll really be looking forward to watching that uh, offensively. Uh, Along with that, I'll be watching the new guys, meaning the the freshmen, the transfers, the guys we haven't ever seen in an Auburn uniform before. Be really intrigued. I'm especially, um, as a former offensive lineman, I'll really be in tune with with the with the O line, looking at uh, Dylan Wade and and Gunnar Britton and uh, Avery Jones that I mentioned. Also, really looking forward to watching Connor Liu uh, out there, the true freshman, uh, seeing if he gets any gets to run with the ones any. Uh, really, we'll be looking forward to these guys. Looking at Kay and Lee, I don't know if any anyone saw follows Auburn on social media, but saw the the video of Kay and Lee. He should still be in high school. He was an early enrollee. He looks like he's 25. I mean, he's absolutely jacked. I mean, my goodness. I, I was extremely impressed by him, just his physical stature. As I mentioned last week on last week's show, he is going to play this season at defensive back for Auburn. Very much looking forward to watching him uh, and uh, seeing what, what he looks like. Looking forward to Keltrick Falk. Uh, we talked about him a lot uh, as someone who's going to have to play this year at the Jack linebacker edge position, whatever you want to call it, for Auburn. So looking forward to watching him. I know there's there's some some names I'm forgetting uh, out there, but um, looking forward to watching the new guys. And then the basic offensive and defensive scheme. I've already uh, mentioned that with the RPO kind of being the base offensive scheme. Just seeing seeing what the basics look like. What is is Ron Roberts going to come out in a three three five? Is he going to come out with four, meaning three uh, defensive linemen? Is he going to come out in a, a four two with you know four defensive linemen and two linebackers? Uh, I'm I'm interested to see just what the base is going to look like defensively. Auburn's going to be multiple. We know that. We talked about that. That's uh, how Ron Roberts does things. But you do typically still have a base defense. So what is that going to look like? Uh, I, I am interested to see how that plays out. This defensive line, how do the rotations work? Uh, uh, Coach Garrett, the new defensive line coach, has talked about wanting to play eight or nine guys on the defensive line, something that we were accustomed to during the Kevin Steele and the Gus Malzahn uh, era. Auburn played a lot of defensive linemen. Uh, I think that's important in the SEC. These games are physical. These games are long. They're hot. So what does the rotation look like? Who's the first group in, second group? Is it a whole line rotation is it one guy in here one guy out here how does that work Uh, I'm looking looking to uh, watch that defensively offensively looking at the uh, the uh, movement for as far as receivers and things like that who's on the field together uh, at the same time maybe some red zone formations maybe we'll get a look at that as far as rules go Auburn defense will start out with uh, 24 points, I believe it is, and the offense will try to surpass that. If they surpass that, they'll win. If not, uh, the defense wins. I like that, the offense versus defensive thing, instead of splitting up into like two different teams. I know they are struggling to decide what the, the point margin should be, but I think 24 is probably good. 
I'm not sure how long it'll last. If they'll just say a certain amount of possessions the offense will have. Or, so I don't know the exact exact specifics on the rules at, at this moment, but I do know that defense will start out with a certain amount of points. I think it'll be 24, and the offense will look to surpass that. Should be an exciting day on Saturday. Hopefully, again, the weather will cooperate. There could be some guys out. I know there have been some guys that banged up this spring. Uh, so, speaking of things that I will be uh, watching, that'll that'll be something that I'll have an eye on. Who's out? Who can't go uh, in the spring game? Uh, hopefully, hopefully everyone can go. But if if not, uh, we'll talk about that next week. We've got to go to our second break. But when we get back, we're going to dive into Auburn baseball, who has a series this weekend and is a part of the big weekend here. Uh, in Auburn. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. And the Ad Council. Welcome back to Talking Tumors here on Weagle 91.1. Auburn baseball dropped a midweek game to UAB last night in Birmingham. UAB hit a walk-off. Uh, so a loss there for Auburn, but again, a midweek game. Not 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 the biggest of deals uh, to me. Auburn played at Florida this past weekend. Florida's the number two or number three team in the country, depending on what rankings you look at, and Auburn had a chance to win the series, and you could argue they should have. They're, they're going to be kicking themselves uh, for not coming out with the series win. Uh, they won the first game 10-1. to They dominated that game. Will Cannon and Tanner Bauman were excellent on the mound. They had a, finally, this team had a healthy batting lineup, and we can see when this team is healthy, they can really hit. They, they, they can hit with the best of them. They are one of the uh, better hitting teams, not just in the SEC, but in the country. Uh, so it is really a really good lineup, and hopefully it'll stay healthy the rest of the year. And we saw that in game one. We got good outings. Butch Thompson decided to change things up this past weekend. Again, pitching has been an issue. It continues to be an issue. We'll talk about that in a second. But he decided to change things up and decided, I'm going to go with my top relievers as starters this weekend. And I, I think the big reason for that, like this was talking about the Florida weekend, the the big the th- reason he did that, I believe, is because this team can hit, he knows that, but Auburn kept falling behind. And they were having some comeback victories, but they were, they were going down big early. And then they were having to crawl and fight and scrap their way back. And so I think the goal of starting the relievers was, We'll start our best pitchers as relievers. Yeah, we won't have them late in games, but hopefully that means we can jump out to an early lead, and, and then hopefully we can hold on and still having to instead of having to claw our way back into games uh, day in and day out. I thought it was a good good strategy. We'll see if he, uh, Butch Thompson and the staff continue with that uh, strategy this upcoming weekend against Texas A&M. But going back to, you know, the recap of the series. So like I said, they get, they won 10 to 1 dominating fashion against Florida in game 1, just a all-around impressive showing. Everyone, like I said, everyone in the lineup contributed from the top to the bottom in game 1. But Auburn gave up 29 runs in the next two games. No, you did not mishear me. 29 runs. That, that's not a recipe for success. Uh, I mean, well, <laughs> that, that's really bad. That is really, really bad. They lost 12-5 in Game 2. Just didn't go well. Okay, that's, that, that's Game 2. Move on. We got the rubber match. Um, 
in in game three. That that's you know kind of whatever. Gave, you know tough outing. John Armstrong gave up four earned, seven total uh, in that game. Just wasn't just wasn't the a good day for Auburn. Game three. Okay, here we go. This is we can take the series against Florida. Auburn started Tommy Bell. He pitched great. Um, I, I was very very impressed with him. Uh, he had to come out, I believe, in the fifth inning. He gave up a couple of runs, but again, just a tremendous outing from him. Really liked what I saw from him. And Auburn led eight to three. They hit. They were hitting extremely well this whole series, as I mentioned, and they hit well there in Game Three. Uh, Bryson Ware continued to be on a tear. Uh, him and uh, Ike Irish continue to be just excellent hitters, but not just them. We saw Cooper McMurray, Justin Kirby, Caden Green, uh, Kaysen Howell. Everyone is producing in this lineup. So they led 8-3 to three in the middle innings of this game. So you're feeling good about it. Look, get a chance to close out and win this series on the road, nonetheless, against one of the, if not the best team in the country. And then everything went south, and it went south fast. So Tommy Bell came out. Chase also came in the game, could not throw strikes. And just a quick side note on Chase also, he's really struggled this season. He was someone who uh, high, had I, that this staff had high expectations for. They moved him into the starting role. That didn't go so well. They moved him back to the pen. Things just haven't gone well so far for, for him this season. They really, the staff, this Auburn team really needs him to get it figured out. He was supposed to be one of their best pitchers this year, and he's been far from it. Hopefully he can get things get things going, uh, but he hasn't so far this season. That was just a quick side note on him. He couldn't throw strikes. He has to come out. Auburn puts in Chase Isbell. He was doing better than he had to come out with injury. And quite frankly, Auburn ran out of pitching. They did. They, they ran out of pitching, and the game blew wide open. Florida ended up running away with it. Scoring, I think, maybe 17 runs. It got ugly, and it got ugly real fast. Um, part of it, just the pitching depth. Again, we go back to the Joseph Gonzalez you know, injury. When you take away your best starter, someone who should be able to eat anywhere from five to seven innings you know, in each weekend, and that saves you five to seven innings of another pitcher or multiple relievers even. Uh, that you that you can use that you would still have to be able to use in a possible game three scenario. Instead, you're running on fumes after Tommy Bell comes out. If one guy essentially, if one guy doesn't pitch well, and that being Chase Alsup, then you're in trouble because you're so thin on arms. By the time you get to game three, that's an issue. And so Auburn has to have some other guys step up. There's nothing they can do about Joseph Gonzalez's injury. That means other p- other pitchers on this staff have to step up and they have to be able to pitch better. They've got to be able to throw at a higher level, starting with starting with Chase also, so Auburn doesn't find themselves in this situation again because they had good pitching, really good pitching in game one. Game two didn't go great, but again, you can afford to drop one game and still win a series, obviously. So that's all right, but that means in game three, you've got to bring it. And, and, and Auburn's pitching staff just couldn't do it. Their lineup did, the hitting did, the pitching didn't. And that's become, now we can see a reoccurring theme. Yes, getting Joseph Gonzalez back is going to help, and I think it's going to help in a big way. Could be pivotal for Auburn and a team that may not be getting a ton of attention when he comes back. Like I said, just because you can guarantee five to seven innings out of him, that that opens up some more uh, room for relievers that can that can possibly pitch in a rubber match game three. 
but you can't use that as an excuse right now. You just got to have better uh, from the from the staff. This is a good, a like I said, a really good hitting team. This is a team overall that can be really good if the pitching improves and maybe even um, and probably when Joseph Gonzalez returns. But this team can be good now if the pitching can improve. But that's a big if. We'll see if, if that occurs uh, this weekend. But overall, just looking at, at this weekend for, for Auburn, they're taking on a Texas A&M team that is 17-11, and 3-6 in conference. They got swept at Tennessee. Uh, they, I believe, are they coming off a series win. I don't think they swept. They're coming off a series win against Ole Miss um, this past weekend. They're a solid team. I know that they, they like everybody in the SEC, their conference record can be deceiving. I think Auburn's conference record may be three and three and six as well, something similar. And but we we know I think Auburn's a better team than that conference record would show. I think A and M is a, a better team than that uh, conference record would show as well. So to don't don't let that be deceiving. But this is no doubt a series Auburn needs to win, especially at home. Against A and M, I think they absolutely got to get the series win here. Look, I'm not, I don't, I don't know enough about the postseason or anything like that. Saying it, it's a must win in, in that fact, but if you're talking about winning series in the SEC that are winnable for you. This is one that is, and and it's at home. So I think Auburn going to get it done this weekend. I think they'll take the series, especially with everything going on around Auburn and the excitement around this. Uh, around the Plains and Plainsman Park this weekend. I think Auburn will get it done, but it'll be challenging. A&M's a good team. With that being said, let me talk about Frank Thomas for a second. I know it might be ironic that I'm talking about Frank Thomas, someone who played before I was even born, but I'm very, very, very excited that he is finally getting a statue here at Auburn. Very much overdue. I have no clue why it has taken so long for a statue to be built of Frank Thomas and to be here at Auburn. It should have been put here way, way before now. And so I'm very, very much looking forward to that. Looking forward um, to that taking place. I, I know it's going to look great uh, there for for Auburn. But the reason I, I'm surprised and disappointed that it's taken so long is that Frank Thomas, as of now, is still the only SEC player to be inducted into the MLB Hall of Fame. So not only did he have a great college career at Auburn, he had a great professional career, and he is the only one, the only one from the Southeastern Conference that's in the Hall of Fame. Now, that's going to change, and I expect that change probably relatively soon because the SEC is pumping out MLB players each and every year now. There's plenty of them throughout the MLB now that could be well on their way to the Hall of Fame. But none of them are there right now. Only one there right now is Frank Thomas, so I'm glad that he's getting his statue much deserved, and hopefully he'll get to see Auburn baseball get a big series win this weekend. Looking forward to it. Overall, looking forward to this weekend as a whole with with A-Day, with Auburn baseball. It's going to be a lot of fun. I know a lot of people are coming to town for it, and I'm looking forward to being a part of it. We'll have a, a great recap on this weekend coming up on next Wednesday's show. We'll recap the series. We'll recap A-Day. But we're not done here yet on Talking Tumors. When we come back, we've got a hot topic of the week to discuss. Welcome back to our final segment of Talking Tumors. 
the hot topic of the week this week is playing actual spring games, meaning not a glorified practice as they called A-Day earlier on in the show. Hugh Freeze talked about wanting to play an actual game against a program like a Troy or a UAB. This is not a new concept. There, there are plenty of coaches who are for this. A lot of the NCAA rules have not really allowed for this to take place. I, I don't know the ins and outs of the NCAA rules on whether this can happen or not. But I think a lot of coaches would be willing to play a game uh, against another school uh, in spring compared to having to play each other. I know players would like that. They would be super excited uh, to do this. And, I again, I'm not saying every coach would be for it, but I think a lot of coaches uh, would like that idea. Hugh Freeze talked about, you know, it, it would make a lot of money. We could give that money to charity. Good thought there, Hugh. I think that that it, it, if the if the game were to be played, I think both schools would would probably want to keep the money uh, selfishly. But but it would. He's right. It would generate a good amount of revenue. We know how much people in the South love college football, and and if two in-state schools were to play each other in a spring game, it would it would generate lots of lots of uh, interest and 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 money and revenue from people wanting to to come to the game for television it would make a lot of money for for tv as you could reach an agreement there again this should happen there there are so many pros to this happening uh both troy and uab we had trent dilfer at uab john sumbrall at troy were both asked about this after hugh freeze made the comments and both said oh absolutely we're all in you know a team like auburn team like alabama obviously should be a better than troy and uab so it gives them the opportunity to to see how they stack up against these, uh, you know, so-called superior programs uh, to them. It, and it also allows them to get on the national scene a little bit more. Uh, and uh, for as far as for, for players, as I mentioned, they get to play someone besides themselves. They get to hit some people besides their own teammates. And they don't have to wait until that first weekend in the fall uh, to do it. So I think those are all big positives uh, for for Auburn, again, it would make plenty of money for TV. It would make money for universities. It would give exposure to these players. And um, it allows you to kind of see where you're at a little bit better than playing against yourself. So will it happen? I don't know. haven't heard Nick Saban's comments on this. If he's commented on it in the past, he might have. I don't follow uh, Alabama and everything that Nick Saban says that closely. But, but I think that majority of coaches would be for this if it can legally happen, if you can work out the intricacies of uh, the NCAA rules and, and, and whatnot to be able to play uh, these games. That's really always the most difficult uh, point is trying to figure out how, 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 are we, how do we do this within the, within the rules. Everything is a lot simpler in, in idea than it is in practice. Um, but if they can figure this out, I would be all for it. Uh, I would love to love to see this happen and occur. I mean, how fun would it be to sit and watch? And I wish these teams would play in the regular season. I really do. I don't know why you don't get uh, Auburn and Troy or Auburn and UAB or Alabama and Troy, Alabama and UAB. I wish these teams would play in the regular season. So if nothing more, if they can't work this out, they can't do it within the rules to be able to play uh, these these games in the spring, I would at least like down the road for these teams to schedule each other and not be, I, not be afraid to, to schedule schedule these games. I don't think it's gonna it would be in Hugh Freeze's personality or interest. I don't think he's is afraid to to schedule these games. You don't have a ton of control though over that 
as head coach. Yes, you've got some say. But hopefully we can get th- get this worked out. Again, this isn't a new idea. This isn't something that Hugh Freeze just came up with. If you've been listening to college football podcasts, I know uh, Josh Paid of uh, Late Kick uh, through 20, 24-7 Sports is, has talked about this plenty. I know there's others out there who have as well, including coaches before Hugh Freeze. Um, but it's got to be done. Uh, I, again, I don't know if it's legally can be or, or can't be, but hopefully... They'll, they'll get something worked out, and maybe in the future uh, we'll have these spring games take place. But that's all I've got today for Talking Tumors. Thank you all for, for tuning in. Again, it's going to be a, an exciting weekend on the Plains uh, for Auburn football and for Auburn baseball. Plenty more, and I'm sure, will, will happen with Auburn basketball as well, whether it's transfers in, whether it's transfers out. Uh, we'll have plenty more to talk about. On, on next week's show, so make sure you stay tuned. The semester is winding down, and that is a sad thing for me as we will we will be uh, finishing out just a few more shows that we've got left before this semester ends. So make sure you're tuned in each and every week. Thank you for listening live. Thank you for listening to podcasts. Uh, whatever, wh- whichever way you're listening, I really appreciate you uh, tuning in. I hope you will do so again next week. Thank you for listening to Talkin' Tumors. Make sure to tune in again next Wednesday at 10 for another edition. Also, make sure to check out Weagle's 24-hour live stream on WeagleFM.com and follow us on social media at Weagle underscore AU. War Eagle and see you next time.